Don't you just love good worship music? This wholeheartedly poured out before the Lord. We're in this special time known as Lent. It is a time of remembering all that Christ has done for us. It's a time to remember who we are in the hands of a holy God. You see, God can't look at our sin. He just can't. The only way that God can see us is through the blood of his son. It's the only way. So Lent is that time for us to journey with Christ to Jerusalem. It is that time that we walk with him and we see the shadow of the cross coming closer with each week. It's 40 days. Now a bit of news, Sundays aren't Lent. Sundays are the Lord's day and thus a day of celebration. But the other 40 days, those are Lent. But I pray that you let Christ lead you on this path, a path that he chose for us so that we could be part of his family. Now, I have to tell you that over 23 years ago, I was looking for something to read to lead me through Lent. This is what I found. Again, an old book that has stood the test of time. It was something that I just thought, I need something to help me as I, and I was not a pastor at this time, over 23 years ago. I was a worship leader, but I was not a pastor. I read this, not knowing that our, our pastor was going to come to me and say, okay, I want you to preach for Holy Saturday. Now, Holy Saturday is that Sabbath, okay? You've had Good Friday where Christ has been crucified, but you have the Sabbath where his family waited to anoint the body because they wanted to pour special oils and special cloth on the body. They wanted to prepare the body. They didn't get to on Holy Saturday. They had to wait. And waiting is what we do during this time. Now, I have to tell you that in this book, one of the most powerful quotes is on the back cover. So I'm going to read it to you now. Linger on the hill of Calvary. Rub your finger on the timber and press the nail into your hand. Taste the tinge of cheap wine and feel the scrape of the thorn on your brow. Touch the velvet dirt moist with the blood of God. Allow the tools of torture to tell their story. Listen as they tell you what God did to win your heart, to win you. Christ suffered greatly, all to win us. 
to adopt us into his family. He knew what going to Jerusalem was going to mean. He knew it. And he rode into Jerusalem anyway because he couldn't imagine heaven without us. In the coming weeks, we're going to learn more about the cost that Christ paid. Next week, we will learn about the crown of thorns. And in another week, we will learn about that sign that was put over Jesus' head in three different languages that said, the king of the Jews. And then we will learn about the robe that the soldiers put on Christ to make fun of him. Then we will learn about that wine-soaked sponge that they put on a stick to hold up to Christ for him to sip something to take a little bit of the pain away. We will learn about the path to the cross that he took in Jerusalem riding a colt instead of a full-fledged donkey. We will learn about the choice that Christ offers us to follow or not follow all as we walk with Jesus on this path towards the cross, knowing that in all of it, he chose the nails for us. I mean, he's son of God and son of man. All he had to do was walk through the crowds. He didn't have to endure this. We know that when he went to his hometown and they expected him to do all of these things and he went, a prophet is not honored in their hometown. And they wanted to throw him from the cliff and he just walked through the crowds. He could have done that, but he didn't because he knew what needed to be done. As believers of Jesus Christ, we know that we needed Christ to save us from ourselves. We're called to reach out to his nail-scarred hands and go, lead us, show us how to follow. Because the sin gets in the way sometimes and we can't see straight in front of us. Sometimes we just need that touch of the master's hand which led me to this absolutely beautiful poem, which I'm not going to read the whole thing, but one little paragraph of it. It's from Ken Brown, and it's called The Master's Hands. It says, if you ever feel your life is out of tune and no music soothes your soul, seek out the master whose gentle touch will bless you and make you whole. Like an old violin weathered and worn, a life may not be so grand, but may be uplifted, transformed, and renewed by the touch of the master's hand. You see, when we learn the ways of Jesus Christ, when we reach for him as he teaches us and leads us, we know that we're more than we think we are because of him. It's that reason that we have our passage today from Matthew 7. Now, I love the subtitles in this. It's prayer and the golden rule. 
So here it is. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets. Our text this morning is actually the last chapter in the Sermon on the Mount. So these are Jesus' words as he was preaching at the Sermon on the Mount. Now, one of the things you need to know is that in this chapter 7, this little passage of Ask, Seek, Knock is couched between two warning passages. Hear this from verse 6. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Ow. And then verses 13 and 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Now, remember, Scripture interprets Scripture. So we have to pay attention to where our passage is as it's nestled between these two warning passages. So we know that there's something more than just ask, seek, and knock. There's a lot more to it. Now, throughout Scripture, God promises that He'll listen whenever we pray to Him. He promises that when we seek Him with our whole heart, He'll be found. Now, one of the things we like to do in, in our Christian realm is we like to take certain passages and go, yes, that's my passage. Jeremiah 29, verse 11 is one of those passages. Okay, everybody goes, oh, yes, Lord, I know the plans you have for me, plans for good and plans for evil. And then they miss verse 13, which is the most important part of that little passage. And verse 13 says, you will seek me, God's words, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with your whole heart whole heart because after all how can we know God's plan if we're not seeking with our whole heart right now one of the other things you need to know is that and, I, and I'm going to get a little English nerd on you here the Greek that they have here for ask seek and knock is called a present imperative perfect okay Present imperative perfect. Now, imperative means it's a command. And it's a command in the present tense, okay? The perfect part makes you go, 
keep seeking, okay? In other words, the word is not just ask. It is ask and keep on asking. Don't stop. It is seek and keep on seeking. Don't stop. It is knock and keep on knocking. Don't stop. After all, we are to pray without ceasing, right? Okay, nod heads if you hear me. Yes? Okay. We're supposed to seek him with all that we are. This is the point of Matthew 7, that we get to learn who God is, his fatherly heart towards us. If we ask and keep on asking, if we seek and keep on seeking, if we knock and keep on knocking. And here's the beautiful thing. God does not turn a deaf ear to us. He does not turn Spotify, crank it all the way up to drown us out. He also does not put on noise-canceling headphones to drown us out. He listens. He has a Father's heart to us no matter what it looks like. He really does. Now, some of us have earthly fathers that may not have been the best in the world, but God is a good God and a good Father. He may not grant every prayer that we want, but he does answer a lot of times in ways we don't expect and we don't plan for. Because you see, we have these finite minds and God is infinite. And we have these chronos ways of thinking, you know, chronological time. We want it on, on this timeline. Lord, you, you've heard my prayer. Okay, now would be good. Okay, because I want it now because that's who we are, right? Okay, and God goes, uh-uh, I'm on Kronos, uh, Kairos time. God's time. Kairos. I'll give it to you when I think you need it. Or I'll give you something better that you haven't asked for. You see, there are also times that we go, okay, that didn't work. Lord, I prayed, I asked, I sought, and I knocked over and over and over again. And you didn't answer. Maybe there's no point to this. And in this language that Jesus uses here, he grabs us by the shirt and says, pay attention. Ask, keep asking. Seek, keep seeking. Knock, keep knocking. Don't stop. I'm not done yet. Because you see, God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We don't understand the mind of God. We just don't. So we're supposed to have this persistence in asking, seeking, and knocking. You see, Jesus knows all of this because that's what he does in the middle of the night is he is on his knees before the Lord going, okay, Father, what now? What do you want to do? I know I'd like to see this, but what do you want to do? Let's do it. You see, Jesus has that father-son relationship with God. 
the one that God wants us to have with him. The one where we crawl up into his lap and go, Daddy. Knowing that sometimes our earthly fathers are not that. They do what they can, but they're not that. See, it's this kind of thing that Jesus is going, the good fathers, good fathers know that if a son asks for bread, you're going to give them bread. You're not going to give them a great big stone and go, here, eat this. That's a good father. We weren't all blessed with good fathers. But God is a good father. Better than we can even imagine. So you see, Jesus tells us, he says, you have permission to keep asking. You have permission to keep seeking, to keep knocking. Don't stop. That's how we learn God's heart. Because we find that when we really seek God's heart and seek it with everything we have, we start wanting what he wants. And God's promises are real and tangible. Sometimes they're just not what we expect. You see, God loves us as his children. We are the apple of his eye, scripture tells us. He will give good gifts. Jesus goes on to tell us, you know, even though you're selfish people, we want the best for ourselves, we take care of our kids here, right? Then if you know how to do it, certainly God will do even better. Even better. Because God gives good gifts. He is the giver of good gifts. I mean, after all, that's what John 3:16 is all about. For God so loved the world that he gave. That's the word, gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. It's almost like he takes an exclamation point because he starts telling his disciples in John 15, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. That is the ultimate gift. And that is what Christ did for us. Now, I have to tell you that a church Paul and I served a few years ago, there was a man who was in bad need of a kidney. He had had cancer. His cancer was in remission. He had lost one kidney to the cancer, and the kidney he had left was suffering badly. He had been on the list to have a new kidney transplant for over two years, and it looked like nothing was going to happen. So the family finally got up at the church and said, Listen, please, please, please go get tested. Because even if you're not a match for our family, you may be a match for some other family, and we don't want other families to go through what we're going through right now. Because they started planning his funeral while he was still alive. Please, go get tested. Now, confession time. 
I did not. And neither did Paul. Yes, I sold him out. We didn't do it. And only a few in that church did. Only a few. The family gets the call. We found a match. The donor did not want to be known at all. But, well, you have to prep for surgery, right? Because one of your kidneys, your good, beautiful kidneys, is about to be taken out and put into someone else. Everybody's going, why would you do this? When they found out. She was a friend of the family and a member of the church. She said, if I had only known, if I had only known I'd have been tested earlier, we wouldn't have waited this two years. And everybody's going, but what happens to you if suddenly your good kidney goes bad? In her words, I know what Jesus did for me, and I'm passing it on. The others didn't understand. I was chicken, I'll be honest. I admire her so greatly because she gave life to her friend, her brother in Christ, who was as good as dead. The, the, both came through the surgery beautifully. And the church got to witness a miracle. A miracle. They got to see someone who was willing to lay down their life for a friend. We don't get to see that that often. And yet that's what we're called to do. You know, it's kind of like the golden rule. And how many of you know the golden rule? Come on, come on. Yes, okay. Treat people the way you want to be treated, right? That's the golden rule. It sounds easy, doesn't it? Treat people the way we want to be treated. Sounds pretty easy. I got news for you. It is not. Not easy at all. This love your neighbor as yourself? Uh-uh. But if we did... Can you imagine what this world would look like if we truly believed and followed through and did that to love our neighbor as ourself? Can you imagine what this church would look like? Can you imagine what this community would look like? This state, even this country. There would be no political agendas because all we would care about would be our neighbor. There would be no talking about other people. Have you seen them? Oh, my gosh. There'd be none of this. Because you would treat them the way you want to be treated. Now, I'll put one, one further on you. Can you imagine what it would be like to drive in New Jersey on the highways? Seriously. Okay. Driving in New Jersey is enough to make you lose your religion. Okay? It's hard. So as I'm thinking about this, I'm going, okay, Lord, what do we do? How do we practice 
treating, loving our neighbors as ourselves, treating people the way we want to be treated. And so I found this little article on Google. It's called 18 Practical Tips for Living the Golden Rule by Leo Bar... I know I got that wrong. Babauta. I'm going to go through them really quick. One, practice empathy. Two, practice compassion. Three, ask the question, how would you want to be treated? Four, be friendly. Five, be helpful. Uh, this is another one. Okay, so six, be courteous in traffic. Seven, listen to others. Eight, overcome prejudice. Nine, stop criticism. Ten, don't control others. And I love this one. Number 11, be a child. Number 12, send yourself a reminder. Number 13, tie a string around your finger. Number 14, post it on your wall or make it your main page. And yes, we live in a social media age, so yes, put it on your main page. Okay, what number was I at? 14? 15, rise above retaliation. Number 16, be the change. Number 17, notice how it makes you feel. Number 18, say a prayer. And then Babauta then says, there is a prayer on the golden rule attributed to Eubius of Caesarea that would be worth saying once a day. It includes the following lines among others. I love these. May I gain no victory that harms me or my opponent. May I reconcile friends who are mad at each other. May I, insofar as I can, give all necessary help to my friends and to all who are in need. And may I never fail a friend in trouble. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. He prayed for us. He knew we'd be here today. This crazy girl from Mobile, Alabama is sitting here watching eight inches of snow pile up yesterday. I know y'all didn't have quite as much as we did, but we got eight more inches. It was crazy. But it's wonderful. Because Jesus knew it. Because he is the God of yesterday, the God of today, and the God of tomorrow. There is no time limit. We are finite. He's not. Remember, he's son of God and son of man. He could have chosen not to do it, but he chose the nails for us. And I love that he prayed for us. In John 17, he said, I'm not asking on behalf of them, talking about the disciples alone, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their message. <coughs> Excuse me. That all of them may be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you. 
may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me so that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfectly united so that the world will know that you sent me and have loved them just as you have loved me. And then he goes on with his prayer. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, that they may see the glory you gave me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, although the world has not known you, I know you, and they know you sent me, and I have made them made your name known to them and will continue to make it known so that the love you have for me may be in them and I in them. Jesus loves us. He loves us now. He loved us then. And he will continue loving us into the future. I know it's crazy, but it's real. I know the love of Christ. And I want others to know it. You see, I was raised Southern Baptist. And when you're raised Southern Baptist, you earn God's love. And you do the things to earn it. It's only recently that God went, put that away, child. I've got you. And I found myself in the floor on tears going, okay, you don't want anything? Okay, he loves us. No matter where we are, no matter what we've done, he loves us. He loves us so much that he came for us, he died for us. He could have given us less, but he didn't. To quote Max Lucado, have you ever wondered why God gives so much? We could have existed on far less. He could have left the world flat and gray, and we would have never known the difference. We wouldn't have. But he didn't. He splashed orange in the sunrise and cast the sky blue. Did he have to make the squirrel's tail furry? Was he obliged to make the birds sing? And the funny way that chickens scurry or the majesty of thunder when it rings out? Why give flowers fragrance? Why give food its taste? Could it be that he loves to see that look upon our face or maybe a happy food dance? I don't know who else does it, but we do it around my house. God's gifts shed light on God's heart. God's good and generous heart is what he says. Lucado goes on to say, every gift reveals God's love, but no gift reveals his love more than the gifts around the cross. As we linger at the cross in this season of Lent, please hear his heart for you. He loves you. He loves you in a way that he was scourged 
39 lashes usually killed a man. And not only did he do that, he, they had him carry his own cross after the scourging. He loves you in a way that no one else ever will. It's not an easy road that we walk. But we don't walk it alone. For Christ goes with us, leading us all the way as long as we follow him. So keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking until you hear him say, I did it for you. Just for you. Even if you were the only person on the planet, I did it for you. Let us pray. Lord, the gate is narrow. It is so narrow, so thin. You ask us to follow. And we go, but we want the wide gate. It's easier. And you say, it's okay, child, follow me. I'll be with you the whole way. Lord, give us the courage to follow. Give us what we need that we may be with you in everything. In the glorious name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. <laughs>